Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's cup of topic is the Gospel of Matthew. Let us introduce ourselves. I am Pastor Amanda Zenzelo. It is my honor to serve at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, where do we start with Matthew? Well, this is our second in our series of Gospels. And the last time you started to hear about Mark being the first when it was written, and now we're on to Matthew. So let's start with when was it written and where did it come from? It was written about the same time as the Gospel of Luke. Okay. But in completely different regions. Okay. So they were not in the same towns. Think of it like, and I don't know the exact mileage difference between the areas, but think of it not specifically geographically, but culturally, as Matthew was written in the Bay Area and Luke was written in New York City. Oh, that's kind of fascinating. Right? So metropolitan areas. Sure. But just very different, but kind of similar. Mm-hmm. So they were written about the same time. Scholars age these to being somewhere around the 80s and 90s. Okay. So if the Gospel of Mark is written in the late 60s, early 70s. And the epistles are written? And the epistles are written around the 50s. Okay. 50s and 60s. Then these come along in the 80s or 90s. So now this is after Jerusalem has been sacked and the temple has been destroyed stopping the Jewish revolt against the Roman Empire. Okay. And Nero has been persecuting Christians in Rome to a horrible, horrible extent. The Nero persecutions are awful. So these are Christians being thrown into lion's times? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And a huge fire in Rome being blamed on the Christians so that People really, really hate them. Oh, a good scapegoat. Great scapegoat. It's good to have. Okay, so this is all after that kind of stuff has been happening. And now we're in different regions of the world writing the stories and where Mark was written close enough that people could really remember. Now we're getting far enough away from the story that we're going to build it out a little bit. Okay. We're going to open it up and tell a little bit more. Now what's interesting about Matthew and Luke is that there is another source that is used. Because if you look at them, you can see, and and there are books that do this, that line them out and compare them to one another. Okay. And these are called the synoptic gospels, S-Y-N-O-P-T-I-C, synoptic gospels, because they tell the synopsis of Jesus' life. Okay. And you can put down the gospel of Mark and you can see exactly where it parallels and lines up with the gospel of Matthew and the gospel of Luke. Okay. Almost, not specifically word for word, but the stories are really, really close to one another. Really similar. And then there are these pieces that are in both Matthew and Luke, but aren't in Mark. Okay. But they match up so closely, even though they're on different parts of the world, that there has to be another source. Okay. What scholars call this is the Q source, and they simply by seeing how many similarities there are in those kinds of pieces, they presume that this source is a gathering of the sayings of Jesus, probably from the years when Paul was doing his ministry. So we're talking about the 40s and 50s. Oh, that's some very early source material. Very, very early, but we don't have any manuscripts of it. We don't have any 
currently any proof of it other than the strong argument that it exists. Based on the similarities. Based on the similarities. Okay. And then there's a little bit of material in both Matthew and in Luke that is only in their Gospels. Hmm. That is specifically Matthean or specifically Luke-in, we shall say. And that's where you start to get a strong individual flavor for each of these Gospels. So like the others, Matthew's written in Greek, in Koine Greek, the language of the time. And lengthwise, Matthew is 28 chapters. Okay. It's a strong length in this one. Okay, so it begins then with the birth? Yes. Matthew and Luke both begin with birth narratives, but they have a different spin on it. So we'll focus just on Matthew in this one, and in our next Kappa podcast, we'll talk about the Lucan birth narrative. The Matthew birth narrative focuses more strongly on Joseph's experience. Oh, interesting. And both Matthew and Luke give a genealogy for Jesus. Okay. Matthew's genealogy focuses on the genealogy of Joseph's family. Very patriarchal. Mm, Normal for the time. Fair enough. Normal for the time. And while Mary is talked about, it's not that Mary isn't in the Gospel of Matthew. She kind of has to be. She kind of has to be there if you're talking birth narrative. But it's a lot of kind of the perspective of Joseph and the father's perspective. And that can actually be quite interesting. So the flight from Egypt and his decision to not stone Mary and that kind of stuff, you really get his perspective more from the Gospel of Matthew. I'll give him this. It was bold for the time. It was. And it's a shorter version. Like Matthew spends less time in the birth narrative than Luke does. Okay. But it is there. And that's where this particular gospel begins. So then the first words of Jesus don't come, unlike in the gospel of Mark, where they come right at chapter one, verse 15. The first words of Jesus don't show up until chapter three, huh? verse 15. Which is? Well, this scene is the baptism scene. So the first time we hear Jesus speaking on his own in the Gospel of Matthew is during his baptism. Okay. And that's the same as Mark. It's just Matthew's giving you more background on Jesus's life. Yes. Okay. Yes. And more information about kind of what's going on and the culture around in the area, that sort of thing. Okay. And then you hear about John the Baptist, and then Jesus comes to John to be baptized And John is like, no, I can't baptize you. That's totally wrong for me to be doing that. And Jesus answers, let it be so for now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consents to do the baptism. So the Gospel of Matthew has a strong focus on righteousness. Okay. And just to unpack that word, because it means something different scripturally than it does in our culture, When you think of righteousness, don't think so much about someone who is really aware of their goodness and how much they rock and how awesome they are. Sure. Think more about right relationship, the capacity to be in right relationship with one another. There's a story in the Old Testament about a woman who, through all cultural rights, should have been married by a particular man, a king. And he doesn't do it. And he like avoids her all that he can in order to not have to live up to what is expected of him. And so she dresses herself as a sex worker and stands outside the gate. And when he's drunk and celebrating, 
they have sex. She conceives a child. And in their exchange, she says, how can I pay you? And she asks for his staff. And now nine months later, the king hears that this woman that he was supposed to have been married to, but he didn't have to because he didn't want to take this on, is pregnant. And he's like, yes, I can totally shame her, get rid of her. And he calls her into court and says, who's the father of your child? And how dare you do this? And she produces his staff. Nice. And he looks at her and says, you are the more righteous of the two of us. That's a very different understanding of the word. Right? And he marries her. So this is the story of Tamar, who is an awesome woman in our scripture and who is a part of Jesus's genealogy. And that idea that righteousness is observing right relationship, right? She knew what her rights were and she claimed them, even if he wouldn't do what was right by him. So biblical righteousness is about understanding the way that God wants the world to work and how the world should work with us being in relationship to one another. And so Jesus is saying here, his first words are about how do we live in right relationship with one another? How do we observe not just culturally what is accurate and good, but cosmically and in God's understanding what is right and what is good? And God's understanding of what is right and what was good is that Jesus should be baptized by John, even if Jesus was the greater of the two, with air quotes around greater. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Jesus knew that to be right, he needed to remain humble and to be in the water with John and to be in the water alongside of everyone else who had come to be in that water. And so The Gospel of Matthew is really concerned with that, with that ability and that capacity to figure out how to be in right relationship with one another and how to do this well and how to have a righteous society. So that's one of the huge traits of the Gospel of Matthew. It's interesting to me how we sort of twisted that to mean something a little different these days. And that's part of the danger of the Gospel of Matthew. Okay. Because it's really easy in the Gospel of Matthew to twist that to being works righteousness based. Oh, yes. What I mean by that is that the actions that you take and do are what make you in favor or out of favor with God. Okay. And a lot of what goes on in Matthew, it's really easy to twist it to be, we have to do these things in order to earn God's love. And because I've done them, I'm home free. Exactly. And that's not, I don't think, how Matthew intended it, but it's certainly a way that we have taken it in modern context. I think that when I preach Matthew, I feel the most on the tightrope of that line of being like, you are called to go and be salt and light to the world, so go and be salt and light. And it's so easy to say, or else you're wasting God's <laughs> gifts and you suck. Sure. Um, when really it's you get to do these things because God's love is so huge that you have been blessed. You get to go be salt and light to the world. Right. But that it's a hair thin line of being able to explain Matthew in a way that doesn't send people to. I did the work, therefore I am good. You haven't done the work, therefore you suck and need to burn in hell. 
Interesting. So what are the other highlights in the Gospel of Matthew then? Pieces that people will be very familiar with will be things like the Beatitudes, Blessed Are The. Um, The Beatitudes are in what is called the Sermon on the Mount. Many people will have heard of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is chapters 5 through 7 of Mm. the Gospel of Matthew. It's a a fair chunk. It's a big chunk. And it kind of gives all the teachings. One of the other pieces that people will be very familiar with from the Gospel of Matthew is the golden rule. Mm. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Oh, that so does not get followed. <laughs> right? I'm sorry. But that is chapter 7, verse 12. It's right in the Sermon on the Mount, and it's a single verse. It is actually in Scripture, unlike things like to thine own self be true. That's Shakespeare, not the Bible. Mm. Still a good line. Fine line, not the Bible. Mm-hmm. So that golden rule is definitely a part of Matthew and is pretty well known. The Lord's Prayer is another part that you will find in the Gospel of Matthew. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Okay. Jesus has said just before this, don't pray like people who really want attention. Don't fast like people who want attention. And so the disciples come back and say, well, then fine. How should we pray? And Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this and teaches them the Lord's Prayer. So that's there in the Sermon on the Mount. So there's quite a bit that's familiar in the Gospel of Matthew for folks, Uh even people who have not been a part of the faith. It still shows up in culture. It's around and about. I think the golden rule is bandied about enough that folks who are not church folks are still going to know that. Mm -hmm. That's coming out of the Gospel of Matthew. This particular Gospel, unlike the Gospel of Mark, which ends with the women seeing the empty tomb and running away in fear. Nice. This gospel runs all the way through the ascension. Oh, okay. So we get the crucifixion narrative. We get a resurrection narrative. We have a conversation with Jesus post-resurrection. And then we have this ending, this ascension scene, where Jesus is with the disciples and tells them what's called the Great Commission, Go, therefore, and baptize all nations in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I will be with you even to the end of the age. Again, I think that one's getting twisted these days. It can be. And then Jesus rises up into the heavens and is gone. And so that is where the Gospel of Matthew ends. It goes all the way through to that point in the storyline. Interesting. Okay, we played this game with the last one. Mm Mm-hmm. How can you tell you're in the book of Matthew without actually looking to see which one you're in? I think the ways that I would locate it is I would look for things that could do that tip to works righteousness. Okay. So if you see a lot of things like, Lord, Lord, when did we see you and we didn't take care of you? Well, when you didn't do these actions for these people, then you didn't do them to me and now you're going to burn. If you see a section about I'm coming and I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats and the goats are going to burn. Lovely. (laughs) When you see that kind of stuff, you're likely probably in the Gospel of Matthew. Okay. If it's leaning towards you better take an action. Or else. Or else. You're probably in Matthew. Okay. Last question. Favorite verse from Matthew? My favorite section in the Gospel of Matthew is chapter 5, 13 through 16. And this was my ordination gospel. And it is the section that I referred to earlier. You are salt of the earth. Go and be salty. 
you are light for the earth, go and shine. And it's the verse that we say at baptisms when we do the baptismal candle. Oh, that's lovely. And it is really easy to toss to works righteousness because the specific verse when we light the candle is, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Oh, sure. And so it's very easy to tip it to your works had better be good. But again, if we think of it as God has created you to be light in the world, go and shine and shine God's light in this world and give glory to God in doing that. Make God easier to see in the world because you're doing that. Then it's a beautiful, beautiful line. And that that is my favorite part of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew, to me, I think is one of those where tone matters so much. How you say it is as important as what you were saying. It's really, really hard sometimes to preach it. And it's depending upon how people want to hear it. Oh, sure. Right? Because if you are primed to feel like you're not worthy and you're not good enough and you can't ever do anything right or well enough, the Gospel of Matthew is not good news for you. It can be really hard to read grace into it if you are primed to think that you are not good enough. Utterly fascinating. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about the Gospel of Matthew. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do I. And until we are back in your ears again, remember you can contact us through Facebook or email at podcast at centralportland.org. We would love to have a review from you on iTunes if you're catching us there. Until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you, no matter what Matthew might try to say.